Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are powerful. You're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears. Then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you. Yeah, you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mmm, savings you can use to buy more robes. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. HD Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. This is part two of my conversation with Siddharth Dhanwan Shangvi, whose new book, Loss, is a memoir of grief. She doesn't come across as somebody... Yes, I can see that, you know, her, her body is kind of... But her mind was... Uh, it, it was free, you know. That's, that comes across in your writing. So I don't know what my cousin is talking about. So, you know, when. I have several ex-cousins and this might be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think they don't know it yet. Actually, that's going to be my thing for 2021. I'm going to officially introduce divorcing your relatives. (laughs) Can you imagine all this laughter? People are going to think, you know, here you are introducing this book about death and grief. And the author is this absolutely irreverent flip. But, you know, in this book about de- about grief, you know, and about loss, there are there are points when I when, you know, when I felt like crying. And but there were also points when I wanted to laugh. I'm sure. When I laughed. OK, so it was like when you you this whole ICU section, mm-hmm. you wave and immediately after that you spoke about Dracula mm-hmm. and. And at that point, you know, I read the whole thing and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, he's right. No? And then you got to Dracula and I started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> what is the line? I think that, you you know, you think of Dracula as someone who has an eating disorder. But it's yeah. true, you know, your humanity expands when you, the more time you spend in the ICU. And if it doesn't harden you, it can make you um, a very curious people of, of, of the human condition. You know, a scholar of uh, of pain. It's a very uh, unusual um, space. Have you spent much time caring for somebody? Have you had to spend much time in an ICU? Is that why you refer to it? No, I have. I haven't spent much time in ICUs. Thank God. But my my, uh, I, I my caring for somebody, and then you were on the flip side, having to be, uh, you know, a caregiver is my, was my original question. But and I can never imagine you in ICU ever. <laughs> no, well, when my when my elder son was very young, mm-hmm. he did land in the ICU a couple of times because of severe asthma. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the ICU is a place of terror for me. Yes, then you know, it is. So, it is. Yeah, and, and, and the and nights I, in the ICU, my God, you know, they have these little tube lights that come on, and they're full of buzzing moths and mosquitoes, and you can count all the bloodsuckers that are oh. lining up, you know, to destroy you over the next twelve hours. Um, and then all these people all around you. I mean, you know, I, I used to also go and do hospital duty at a time when there were no cell phones. If I had to mm. go now, I'd probably like, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd be a human hazard if I was in IC because I'd be breaking phones. I'd be just snatching them off saying it's post 10 o'clock. You can't do this, sir. I'm really sorry, ma'am. I had to kind of put this in the toilet now. You know, also there's bits where, which is actual advice. Mm-hmm. You know, when a person passes, often you don't know how to behave mm-hmm. and you say, show up. And that's, that's, that's fantastic. You know, that is what people should do. Just show up. Mm-hmm. You want to read that bit? 
When someone dies, show up. There's not much else to do. Text messages, even meaningful ones, cannot honor a life. The time for eloquence is replaced by presence. Mm. Facebook comments are digital dust. No one is interested in watching you perform grief with an emoticon. Send khichdi, bring lunch, drop off a book, check in on the ones you love, and remember that you're being watched from a far up place. So just put on a clean shirt and go. Hmm. Yeah, that's like really, you know. I'm sure somebody reading it will will look at it and think, yes, you know, this is how one should do it. You know, because often you don't know how to behave, na. So, you know, I feel that it's it would be putting me in a place of um, arrogance um, if I was saying that any of this was advice. What this was was kind of a cautionary, because sometimes to even say to people that, oh, this is the way to do it. it to me feels a bit awkward but if i can just say that you know you doing this to me manjula is um is not reading your sensitivity into my life and can you perhaps say it like this or do it like this um is really my intention it wasn't to talk down to somebody it wasn't to no 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 it doesn't come across as talking down at all yeah. it was really to say that you know we don't have presently a culture that allows us to speak about death and deaths as one of the most meaningful events for the living mm. therefore if all of us are together in this you know how can i make a little room and pause so that manjula is able to absorb you know the lesson that is there before her so you know if i just send a whatsapp or some stupid message or or even a flimsy email it's just it's so disrespectful to the person who has passed on and disrespectful to the person who is living with the grief so sometimes uh, that was the other job i think of loss is that you know when sometimes people if you don't have something to give for years together when i didn't know what to what to say to somebody i would send them a copy of a uh, john didion's the year of magical thinking with a note and then many months later they would write me letters saying how you know didion's work helped them look at that loss what it was and i thought yes you know what a great service this woman has done she's taken the pain of her life and and put it at the service of other people and that was partly what i was thinking when i wrote loss is that you know we don't have a language for sadness for grief for bereavement particularly in india i think it's so ritualized and the triumph of ritual over experience means that you're looking of your clothes for the chotha and you're organizing a death certificate but this cosmic event this person's departure this person's never coming backness that's something you never have to think about so i wanted this book i wanted conversations like this to give people that pause that room to sort of say you know this is what has happened this is the gravitas of it um and and just really attention Uh, all the love that that remains irrespective mm mm-hmm. okay i think one of the questions i wish i had been able to answer in this book was you know how do you grieve for people you don't really like i mean of course the yes. you know the most simplistic answer is you say you don't um but it's a lot more complicated you know there are relatives mm-hmm. there are people you've had you know ex husbands and wives and, and 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 you might feel great 
anger or resentment mm-hmm. for whatever relationship you shared with them. But when they die, something happens. And I think what happens in that is that you are finally free of that resentment. You are finally free of that anger. And if you can recognize that person's death with sincerity and with respect, then you do that great service to yourself. You, you write that resentment out of your consciousness. Mm. Mm. Okay. And this bit, a death exposes the living as they are. That's so true, you know. Yeah. Immediately after death, like you really do get to know what people are like. So talk about that. Well, how surprising people were. You know, the people I never thought, people I really kind of despised were the ones who showed up at the crematorium uh, and stayed the longest. You know, um, there was a relative, an uncle who we ha- I hadn't spoken to in years. He came to see my dad um, at the crematorium. And somehow just seeing him there in that moment, every single resentment, every discord was forgotten, erased. It didn't exist. So that's what I also meant when I said that when someone dies, show up. Because it's also a great opportunity to repair uh, and to heal relationships in the realm of the living. Mm. You know, the the founder of uh, Mukti Bhavan, you know, which is the hospice in Banaras, mm. talks about uh, the 12 lessons that he learned from watching over 12,000 people die at his, uh, at, at Mukti Bhavan. And on top of that list was about repairing the relationships in your life while you're living, Mm. you know? And I think that was very important when I came to writing loss and when I came to revising it during the pandemic one months, because a thing that I did, and I think you know about it is that I wrote letters of remorse and apology to so many people in my life. Mm. You know, to, to say that if tomorrow, if I, if, I, if I get COVID or, you know, if I get knocked over by a bus or I, I drown at sea when I'm swimming, mm. I have been able to commit every single apology. I have tried my very best to iron out the creases in that equation, in that friendship, in that relationship. Whether they forgive me is really their karma and their business. But the fact that I tried very hard to clean up the slit uh, before I left. Uh, and you gave me an opportunity to write about that, for which I'm very grateful and I'll never forget. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Wow, writing that piece, it was a lovely piece, actually. I mean, lovely is not the word, you know, lovely is so frou-frou. It's <laughs> that kind of, that was... Thank you for publishing it. I'm so grateful. Okay. You know, the last chapter... Mm-hmm. When, uh, when you know, the Saraswati Devi bit, when your mother finally passes. My godmother, on. Saraswati Devi, yeah. Mm. You know, and, and that made me think, you know, we are often very uh, scared to deal with this. I mean, I, a lot of people are, you know, to talk about the unknown, you know, and mm. you've, um, uh, you, you've dealt with that, with the exact point of, um, you know, when Saraswati Devi said it's done and she's gone, mm. you know, and the, and the machines stop. So talk about that. And I, I thought it was very powerful. Wow. Saraswati Devi is my godmother, a woman I love very much. She uh, runs a yoga shala in Berkeley in Northern mm. California where I used to live. And she's a disciple of Swami 
uh, Vinyananda, uh, who I must bow before in this conversation. Um, and so she did a really profound thing. Saraswati is trained in home births and home deaths. And when my mother was uh, very sick, she did something extraordinary. She, my friend Elora got her a ticket uh, and she flew overnight from San Francisco. It took her 26 hours and came to Bombay. She landed in the morning. She saw my mother Padmini in the ICU. And I was, you know, I was to do the night duty that day. So I was having dinner with her and then I was going to go to Nanavati Hospital. Mm. And in the middle of dinner, she put her fork down and she said, we must go to the ICU now. And sure enough, as we raced there, you know, I had called my other sisters to, to be president, to be, you know, in, in, in service to my mother in that moment. Mm. And that was the last hour. But the last hour was spent with so much of mindfulness and awareness because here was a woman, you know, who was so uh, aware, who was so evolved, psychologically astute, that she led us through death as she would lead a new mother through a home birth. Mm -hmm. She led us to how there were now beings in, in the room who had come to receive my mother. She led us to... Uh, looking at certain parameters, you know, that would be failing now because she felt that my mother had, you know, leapt um, out of her body. And then she just said, look, you know, the thing is done. And, and what she meant was that my mother had been reunited with her ancestors. And so the machines in the ICU stopped bleeping. But all through of this became a process. All through of this was just no different from midwifing. Just as you bring people into life, you also help lead them out of life. And that is exactly the beautiful process that she showed. And the great thing about that was because it was a process and because she made us mindful of every step, every second of the way, we never really grieved a mother. There was no death uh, of shock. There was great bouts of longing. But you know, the, the horrifying, devastating shock of death was no longer there because this was an experience each of us had partnered with equally. Mm -hmm. And she had given that climate and that aperture for us to enter it as a transformative experience for each of Padmini's living three children. So that was a gift that, you know, is beyond value, beyond measure. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's cosmic dust. It's somebody just sprinkling something very beautiful all over you. And that's what Saraswati Devi does. She runs a yoga shala in North Berkeley called Yoga Lamb. So in case anyone is there and wants to go for a class, they should check it out. Mm. Because she's my favorite person in the world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And, uh, yeah, so I was very moved by, the, by, by that as well. And I, I was thinking, God, you know, that's, it must have been very, very comforting for for, for you three as well, no? Absolutely. Comforting is just the right word. It was a, a comfort, a consolation, but also just awareness. You know, when somebody really puts you into that moment and says, now you have to look even uh, your mother's death in the eye. Um, mm. That very exquisite challenge, if you have somebody parenting you in that, uh, can be and is a transformative experience. Mm. Okay. Okay, and on that note, I think we should we should end. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to you for your time, Manjula, and for your reading grace. You are the kind of readers most writers can only dream about. 
Oh, isn't that? Come on. <laughs> okay. Everybody, go out and get lost by Siddharth Dhanwan Shangri. It, it is, I mean, you know, I can't keep on saying it's great and, and because that sounds so fake. But this is a book that's wise. And it's something that, you know, everybody lives with loss. I, I, I think most people, you know, have had been, somehow or the other you go through experiences you lose people who are dear to you like you know your father or your you know some sibling your brother or a pet you know and so you you grieve a lot about these things and death is a part of life and but it's difficult to accept and a book like loss makes you makes you think about these things and not shy away from them which 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 was the reason why I didn't say so that which is the reason why I didn't want to read it at first but I once I started reading I read it at one you know in one shot and I and I think I've learned a lot from it thank you for that thank you so much for reading I'm so grateful bye thank you This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.